1985, there was a celebration that was held at a New Orleans municipal swimming pool. The party around the pool was held to celebrate the first summer in memory without a drowning at that particular pool. Now, that was amazing because in large cities, there were all kinds of accidents at municipal pools. Now, in honor of this occasion, there were 200 people who surrounded the swimming pool, many people swimming. And out of the 200, there were 100 of the lifeguards there that participated in that defeat that summer. And as the party was breaking up, as it was almost time to go, all the lifeguards began to clear the pool and began to sort everybody out, saying, it's time to go, we're, we're cleaning the pool out. And as they were cleaning the pool out, they noticed that there was a man, fully dressed, who was at the bottom of the deep end. The people had been in the pool, and they'd filled it so much they'd never saw this man drowned. He was found in the deep end, fully dressed. And when they pulled him up and tried to revive him, it was too late. His name was Jerome Moody. He was 31 years old, and he was at the bottom of the deep end. The ironic thing about this story is that this man drowned while lifeguards were all around him celebrating their successful season. You know, that's just exactly the way it is for people in the world today. We live in a world where there are many people who are dying and drowning in sin, and yet there are people who can save them, who can tell them the good news, and they don't even notice, they don't even recognize the need for those people to be saved. You know, as we, as Christians, we're surrounded by people every day like that. We have jobs where people are lost. We have lost friends who are in school with us. We have lost family members, people who we see all the time. We have people who we have known all of our lives that have never been told about Jesus. And yet we are with them all the time. And they're just waiting to die and to spend eternity set apart from God in a place called hell. Now there's no way that we can know whether if we told them the gospel they would come to Christ. But if we don't tell them, they don't have a chance to come to Jesus. Let me give you some statistics. 75 million Americans are unchurched, and that is up from 39 million in 1991. 39% of the population represents nominal Christianity. A nominal Christian is one who really thinks they have a relationship with Jesus, but they really don't. They live like the rest of the world, and there's no fruit, there's no evidence, there's no accountability there to Christ, and yet they would call themselves Christians if they were filling out a survey, but they do not indeed know Christ. And then listen to this, 56% of born-again believers feel the need to share their faith with others, 56%. You may say, well, that's the majority, that sounds pretty good, but that tells me that there is 44% of people who don't feel the need to share their faith with others. Now, we're not talking about people who don't share their faith, we're talking about people who don't even feel the need to share their faith with others. And then... They don't realize that all those people that they're around every day are all on their way to eternal destruction because they never heard the gospel through the people who knew the gospel. You know, there is a great necessity today for personal evangelism by all Christians. Last week, the sermon, we talked about Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, and the sermon was about the model of a godly church. We talked about what a godly church ought to be about. If you remember, we said that a godly church is based on the very Word of God, that we are founded on the principles found in Scripture and nothing else. The model church is one that has fellowship. All the believers are here supporting one another and being active in the church. A model church is one that is consistent. Not only do we 
worship on a Sunday or we might come on a Wednesday night for discipleship. But all through the week, we are consistent in fellowship and prayer and Bible study and being with other members and helping people who are in need. And if you remember, the very last thing that it mentioned about a model church was the impact of a model church. And the Bible says that because the church was actively doing all of those things in the right way, the Lord was adding to their number day by day. And all the people had favor with the church. But you know, all the people, even if they had favor with the church, even if they saw the church's good deeds, even if they saw the great benefits of being a Christian, none of them could be saved just by watching someone else's life. The only way they could be saved is by someone telling them how to be saved and giving them the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, when we as a church, when we are living the right way and we are doing everything we need to do as a church, that sets the table for the gospel. That is what encourages someone or or motivates a person to want to receive the gospel because they see the change that it has made in the lives of those who believe. Now, that's the first part of it. But if you're not willing to take the next step, And to say, look, here is how you can have this. Here is how you can be saved and to know Jesus and have eternal life. Then they're not going to be saved. Because the power of salvation comes through the gospel. And it is presented by all church members. I want to talk to you today about the necessity of personal evangelism. The necessity of personal evangelism. I have a few points that I want to share with you based on some different areas of scripture. But then at the end of the sermon, I'm going to do something that I normally don't do. And most of you know that my style of preaching is line by line, verse by verse, exposition of the scriptures. But today I want to share with you how to share the gospel with someone else. I know some of you are thinking, well, this is something we might be better off doing on a Wednesday night. Perhaps a Sunday evening is when this needs to take place. But I want, I want to do it right now because this is the time when we are all together When everyone is not doing Awana or not doing another discipleship program or not doing something else, we are all here together today, and this message is so urgent. I want to do it this morning. So the necessity of personal evangelism. Well, the first thing I want you to understand is that evangelism is commanded. It is commanded. In Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20, our scripture that we read this morning, Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, Jesus here makes a command. It's in the imperative. He is not speaking about an optional thing. He is not saying, well, if there's nothing else to do, then you might try this. He's not saying if If you're kind of bored and you really are looking for something exciting, then go out and try to tell people about the gospel. He is commanding people here, all Christians, all believers, to go out and to tell other people about Jesus. Because that is the way that the kingdom grows, is by spreading the gospel. And by my estimation, if Jesus here is making a command, and we are not doing this command, then is it not sin? If Jesus told you not to commit adultery, and you committed adultery, that would be sin. If Jesus told you not to steal and you stole something, that would be a sin. If Jesus told you not to lie and you lied about something, that would be a sin. If Jesus told you to go and spread the gospel, but you didn't spread the gospel, that would be a sin. It's what we call a sin of omission. Not doing something wrong, but not doing what we're supposed to be doing. Omitting something that God has told us to do. Now, I'm not talking about going door to door and having to witness to so many people every day. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about when you come into an opportunity where there is a person that you know 
And, and they may have mentioned to you, I would like to know more about Jesus. Or I would like to, to know what's wrong with my life. Something's missing. And you come to that opportunity. You must be willing to share with that person the hope that is in you, as Peter says. You must be willing to tell them about the Jesus that saved you and that gives you the assurance of eternal life. Because if God has placed someone in your presence for you to witness to and you fail to do that, then you are disobeying God. And I believe that God puts many people in our path. There's all kinds of people that I run into, and it's almost just obvious. They'll say things like, boy, I really, I'd really like to know that I'm going to heaven when I die one day. Or I've got something in my life that is missing. I really need uh, something to, to, I need to understand what this is all about. And what, an, what a perfect opportunity to share the gospel with someone. Maybe someone you know is going through a difficult time and they're looking for answers. And you have the opportunity right there to tell them about Jesus. Are you going to do it? The Bible says that we must. Not only is evangelism a command, but evangelism is urgent. In Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17, Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. You see what Paul is saying here? That the gospel is the power of God for salvation. There is no other way a person can be saved outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not saved by works. We're not saved by trying to be good. We're not saved by church attendance or by prayer. We are saved simply by putting faith in Christ alone. And that only comes by hearing the gospel. So if the gospel is the only way a person can be saved, for all the people in the world who are dying a spiritual death, it is extremely urgent that we tell them You know, statistics tell us that nearly half, 43% of all Americans who accept Jesus Christ as their Savior do so before reaching the age of 13. Almost half of the people receive Jesus before the age of 13. Two out of three born-again Christians, 64%, accept Jesus Christ as their Savior before their 18th birthday. So 64% receive Him before their 18th birthday. What do these statistics show us? They tell us that If we don't reach people early in their life, if we don't reach people before they get older, the statistics are very narrow of the ones who will receive Jesus. It's so urgent that we are able to share the gospel with people as soon as we can. Because as a person gets older without Jesus, they get more set in their ways and their heart gets hardened. And then there comes a point when the Spirit is no longer able to penetrate that person's heart because they're so hardened and they can't receive Christ. So it is urgent today that we share with all the people that we know as soon as we can. And not only is evangelism urgent, but evangelism is also required. In Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, Paul has been speaking about salvation. He says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You see, the gospel is something that has to be communicated to a person. A person just can't decide one morning that they're just going to be a Christian without knowing what the Bible says about how to be a Christian. And the only way that a person may be able to understand how to be a Christian is if someone tells them about Jesus. Now, I know that someone could read a gospel track and be saved. There are many people who've done that. But the majority of people 
will not receive Jesus Christ unless someone personally communicates the truth of the Bible to them in a way and by way of personal evangelism. It's a proven fact. Many people are saved, most people are saved by someone telling them personally about Jesus. Now, we know that since the gospel is the only way a person can come to Christ, it is our responsibility as believers, just like Jesus commanded, to tell them. Paul says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How beautiful are your feet when you go and take the gospel to someone else. Now, I know you may say, well, I've witnessed to someone several times and they've never come to Christ. Well, let me tell you, that's their problem. But you did what you were supposed to do. You were obeying the Bible. If you witness to a person a thousand times and they never come to Jesus, you have done your part. And there is no blame to be placed upon you. The blame is upon them. But if you never witness to the person, God is going to hold you accountable to that. Now, you may go on to heaven and you may be with him forever. But God is going to hold you accountable to that at the judgment seat of Christ one day for all the things that you did in the flesh, good and bad. And you are going to be reminded of all of these people who were in your life that you never witnessed to. I really believe that. God is going to reveal the weakness that you had in that area. So we have to understand today that evangelism is a command. It is urgent. And it is required. Now I know that there were many of you here today who would love to share the gospel. You want to. You've got people that you know right now who need to hear about Jesus. And in your mind, you're thinking of the excuses. You're saying, well, I just really don't know what to say. I just really, I'm not really comfortable with approaching someone and telling them about Jesus. Not so much because I'm ashamed, but because I just don't know the basics to tell them what to say, what order, maybe what scriptures to show them. But there may be some of you here today who you may feel a little ashamed to share the gospel. Maybe Jesus has saved you, but you have allowed your life to get in such a shape that you don't want to share the gospel because you would be looking like a hypocrite. You know, maybe a person would say, well, why are you telling me about Jesus? Look at your life. He didn't do anything for you. And I think that is one of the main hindrances that we see to the gospel today. If we have good news, it better be good news in our own life. And we better be able to live out what we're talking about. But for those of you here today who may say, well, I just don't understand what to say. I don't know what to tell them. I want to equip you today for that work in the ministry. You know, it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, listen to this, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. You see, God called pastors and he called church leaders to be leaders, to do all of the things of Scripture. But not only for them to lead, but for them to equip all of the people in the church so that they can follow doing the same things. I think a lot of times we feel that the pastor is the only one who can share Christ with someone. Perhaps a deacon is the only one who knows enough to share Christ. But the Bible says that the pastor is to equip the rest of the flock, or the rest of the church members, so that they will have the knowledge to carry out the ministry. It's not something that is unique to only church leaders. It's unique to all Christians. If you're a believer today, you're required to share the gospel. So there should be no excuse for not doing that. But I want to equip you today for that ministry. And like I said, this is not a normal style of a sermon for me, but it's so urgent. I want to share with you today how to reach someone with the gospel. Now, if you look in your bulletin, you are going to find in the section where I place my outline, you're going to find what we call the gospel will. Now, in Awana, which is our children's ministry that's been very successful, and in fact, we just had one that was saved not too long ago in Awana by a church member leading them to Christ, which I was very proud of. And we baptized that person last Sunday. 
But the Awana gospel will is not the only way to reach a person. In fact, there's many ways you can go about, many different, you know, different strategies and things. But I believe that since our church is doing Awana, since we have it as our ministry, and a lot of you work in Awana, this may be a very easy way for you to learn to share your faith with someone else. So I want to use this gospel will today to help you to share your faith with others. And I want you maybe to take notes or write down some things because it's very important that you understand how to use this gospel will. Now, there's four main areas of emphasis on this gospel will. You can see the words God and trust and man and the cross. If you notice under man, it says character. And if you notice beside the cross, it says action. Now, what it is, and I want to describe this before we get into it, the character you have to understand, first of all, is the character of God versus the character of mankind. You have to see that there's a difference between the two. The action, you have to understand that the cross is the way by which God sent Jesus to die for our sins as payment for our sins, but also the action that we must perform is trusting in Christ by giving our heart to Him so that we can be saved. So each one of these kind of balance with the other. And then in the center, we have the verse that describes Jesus' death for on, on the cross for our sins and His resurrection to life, which is the main emphasis of the gospel, the main message. So let's begin by, number one, talking about the character. Now, when you approach a person with the gospel, this has to be mentioned before they are going to be able to understand it. You can't tell a person about Jesus until they understand, first of all, who God is and who they are. Now, the first thing there is the perfection of God and the problem of man. Now, the perfection and holiness of God is represented by God there in the top in Matthew chapter uh, 5, verse 48. That verse that says, uh, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You see, before anybody can be saved, they have to understand who God is and why they can't be saved on their own. The Bible tells us that God is perfect, that He is holy, that there is no sin whatsoever in His, in His being, that He is completely set apart and perfect from sin. And it describes God's perfect nature. Now, the Bible verse here where Jesus is speaking about, He says, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So Jesus is saying that just as God is perfect, the only way that you can be saved is to be perfect just like God. That's the only way. God will not accept anyone in his kingdom that has even an ounce of sin in their life. I know you're all thinking, well, I'm out. There's no way I can go to heaven. Well, listen, we come now to the problem of sin and man. And this is the bottom. In Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Now what these verses tell us is an exact contrast away from God. We have a holy God that is perfect and righteous and that can't be around anything that is sinful. And then yet we have human beings that the Bible says were born with sin, that were full of iniquity before they were even born. And not only were they born with sin, but they were already judged to be going to a place called hell when they die because of their sin for punishment. And because we are on one side and God is on the other, there is a giant valley in the middle that separates us from God. And there is no way that any of us can approach God unless we are perfect. Now that is the main problem that we have. We have been separated from God by sin. And there's no way we can come into His presence without being perfected. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, Paul writes, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. You see, before a person is a Christian, they are alienated and separated from God, not able to have fellowship with Him. So since sin cannot come into God's presence, and all human beings are filled with sin, 
There is no way that any of us on our own merit can be saved. There's no way. None of us can be good enough to be saved. But then this is part number two, where number two comes in. So back to number one real quickly. You want to make sure they understand that the reason they can't be saved is because of their sin and because God is holy and perfect and we can't come into his presence. Now that sets the stage for number two. Number two says, the grace of God and the responsibility of man. Now, the grace of God is in chapter, uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. That verse says, But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, we go back to the main problem. We are all separated. We are all alienated from God. We don't have any fellowship with him. There is no way that we can go to heaven. But the Bible says that God loved us so much that he is willing to make an arrangement for us to come to be with him forever. And he did that through sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins as a payment to stand in our place. So even though we don't deserve heaven, God, by his grace, has given us an opportunity to go to heaven. Now, there's two little points I want to mention here, two big points, but they're kind of small. First of all, God didn't have to provide salvation. Some people think today, well, God should save everybody. Well, he doesn't have to save anybody. God would be just as justified if all of us were not saved and we all were served a, a sentence of judgment and forever in hell than if he saved all of us. He would be just as justified. But because of his grace, because of his love and, and his desire to be with us for eternity, he has chosen some to be saved. So we are saved by God's grace. And the other point is this. You need to make sure that when you're telling a person about Jesus, what he did on the cross, they understand this very important fact. Is that Jesus took our punishment. He took our shame. He took the anger or the wrath of God all upon him for us. You see, the Bible says that we were due to spend eternity in hell. We were due to get the wrath of God uh, placed upon us, the very anger of God. We were due that penalty all upon us. But because Jesus went to the cross, God directed all of that pain all of that penalty upon him so that those who are in jesus no longer have to suffer through all of that jesus took it for them in their place and because he was sacrificed as a perfect human he has the ability to take our place so that's the real important thing the cross you have to tell them that that is the only way they can be saved but here is what they must do the responsibility of man look at the word trust on the other side on action in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10, that verse says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, a person cannot be saved just by mentally believing that Jesus did all of those things. A person can't be saved just by trying to act better or doing the things Jesus said we should do as Christians. A person can't be saved just by loving God, for instance, or just by acknowledging that God is all great and all powerful. A Christian is saved when they truly believe in their heart that Jesus took their place on the cross. And because of that belief, they give their heart over to Jesus and commit their whole life to him. The Bible tells us that that takes place when a person repents of their sin and they make Jesus the Lord of their life. So if a person says, well, I realize what Jesus has done for me. I know that I'm lost and I'm a sinner and that I can't be in God's presence because I'm sinful and he's perfect. What must I do to be saved? What you need to remind them of is that you need to repent of your sin, which means all the things in your life that are against the will of God, you need to turn away from those things. And you need to ask Jesus to come and to save you, to cleanse you, 
and to give you a new heart. And in doing that, you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life. I think there's many people today who miss out on salvation because they simply have prayed some prayer and they don't even understand what it means. They think that just saying the prayer, it magically saves them some way. And it's the same people who keep continually coming up to be saved over and over and over. They never have a surety about their salvation. It's because they've never made Jesus the Lord of their life. They've never said, Jesus, I want you to save me, but in order for you to save me, I know that you have to, I have to be completely submitted to you in every area of my life. I have to give up all of my sin. I have to make you the Lord so that I will follow you and commit my whole life to you. And until you do that, you can't be saved. Jesus said, follow me to all the disciples, to all the people who wanted to be saved. Follow me. He didn't just say, pray a prayer and go do what you want to do. He said, you must follow him. He even tells us in the Bible that if we want to follow him first, we must count the cost. Is it really something that we want to do? Is it worth giving up all of our sin? Is it worth living the life that Jesus wants us to live? Many people have told me before they wanted to be saved, but they didn't want to give everything up. I've even had people in airports when I've witnessed to them, they'll say, you know, I would love to go to heaven, but I don't want to submit to a God who has rules in the Bible I must follow. That's the reason I don't want to go. That's the reason I don't want to be saved. But that is a requirement. If you want to be saved, you're not saved by works, but you have to submit your life to Christ so that you will be able to live for Him. And God, when He places that Holy Spirit into your heart, and you will have a new desire to follow Him. Trust me, if you are saved, it won't be a problem following Jesus. It'll be a problem living in sin. So if the person asks you what they must do to be saved, you have to explain to them what Jesus did on the cross for them in their place. And then you have to tell them that they need to repent of their sin and give their heart over to Jesus. And then lastly, in, in the very center, we have the essence of the gospel. And it says, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. Paul said, For I delivered to you as first of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised from the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. You see, the gospel message doesn't make sense unless we truly understand the message in that passage. That passage tells us that God sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins and that when Jesus was raised out of the grave, that proved that the sacrifice was acceptable to God. It completed the sacrifice. So now that just as Jesus was raised to new life, all of us can be raised to new life when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And until you're able to, to understand that and to, and to put that together like we've described this morning... You can't really share the gospel with someone. But I challenge you, reread these verses. Get an order in your head of how to share the gospel with somebody. Because there, I promise you, this week, there is going to be an opportunity for you to share the gospel. Now, you may not realize it. You may not see it coming. But I promise you, there will be an opportunity for you to share the gospel. And when you get that opportunity, when God places that person in front of you, I want you to remember these verses. And remember this will as a, as a visual aid to help. You may even want to pull it out and just look at it while you're talking to the person. Because their life is so important. You don't want to see that person die and spend eternity in hell. You want to be the one who shares with them Jesus. And to know that you are doing what God has commanded you to do. You know, I think today that there are many who have no desire to share the gospel. And the reason I think is, well there's a number of reasons. But the main reason I think is because they've never received the gospel into their own heart. They don't know what it's like to really be saved and set apart from their sin. They don't know what it's like to surrender all to Jesus Christ so that when they sing, sing the great hymns of the faith about the old rugged cross and, and bound for glory and all of these hymns that we sing, they don't understand what that's all about because they've never experienced it. 
But I can tell you, if you read every place in Scripture where somebody has received Christ, the first thing they've done is went out and told somebody else how great it was and how they can receive it in their life. And today, I want to challenge you. If you've never received Jesus into your life, how are you going to be able to share it with anybody else? If you've never been saved, how are you going to tell anybody else how to be saved? And just like I shared with you about the gospel, that's what you must do in your life. If you're lost today and you've never received Jesus and you feel the call upon your heart to be saved, then you must repent of your sin and trust in Jesus to save you alone and make him the Lord of your life. And if you're willing to do that, I will be down front to receive you in just a moment for the invitation. But I want you to think about that if you need to be saved. But also today, if you are saved and you know for a fact that you're going to heaven, don't you desire to see more go with you? Don't you desire to see your family all be in heaven with you and your friends and your loved ones and even those you don't know? How many of us would really want to see someone spend eternity in hell? I don't think there's any of us here. I don't think you'd be a Christian if you desired to see someone spend eternity in hell. So make it an imperative in your life to go and to share the gospel with all those who don't believe. Would you join me in prayer?